This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. So I was at the Village Vanguard the other day here in New York City. It's perhaps the most famous jazz club in the entire world. And I was watching a band play and something that stood out to me was that no matter what note the musicians were playing, it could be the most far out away from the key center as possible note. They always made it sound super, super good. So I want to share with you the lessons that we can learn from this and probably the number one thing, or at least in the top 10 things you should be really working on to sound amazing in your jazz improv. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards. This is the podcast where we help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve no matter what instrument you play. Okay, 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 okay. I'm actually, I always say this about the, the show, like that I'm very excited for this episode. I know that it, it sounds like a broken record, uh, but today I am particularly excited because um, in some ways as a jazz educator, being at the Village Vanguard the other day, something just really connected with me where I was like, yes, that's it, right? And so a lot of times on the show, I'll be like, hey, the most important things for you to be working on are learning jazz standards, right? I always say that advice because if you learn the jazz standards, you'll learn all of the lessons. But of course, that's very general. That's a very general thing. Like, what lessons can you learn? Well, I always talk about core tones and guide tones and, you know, things that I believe are the most high yield activities that you can be doing um, to improve as a jazz improviser, to improve, improve as a comper, as a, well, a bass player, whatever whatever instrument you play, right? Um, however, when it comes to jazz improvisation, there, you know, I also give tips like, hey, learn jazz solos by ear, right? Stuff like that. Compose your own jazz solos. All amazing tips. But really, what I learned at the Village Vanguard this past week was this is the secret sauce that if you can master this particular thing that I'm about to share with you, really you are mastering the art of improvising. Like if you master, it's just one thing. Like if you master this one thing, you can start playing anything you actually want and still make it sound good. And I know this sounds like almost too good to be true. And I, I will like explain what it is in one second, but the importance of what I'm about to talk to you about, it's so simple Yet it's so profound. And I think that was the big aha moment I had at the Village Vanguard the other day. By the way, the band I was listening to at the Village Vanguard was um, the Galad Hexelman Quartet. Um, it was, was it Quartet? One, two, three, four. Yeah, it was four people. So it was the Quartet. So Galad Hexelman, he is like a really phenomenal, fantastic um, 
a j- modern jazz guitar player based out of New York City here. Really talented, really amazing. Uh, the piano player was Shy Maestro, who is an incredible jazz pianist. And then there was Larry Grenadier on the bass. Larry Grenadier has played with the likes of like Brad Meldow. He was in his famous trio for a long time. Um, and then Eric Harland on the drums. Eric Harland is like uh, one of the big, amazing modern jazz drummer. So absolutely the music that we were listening to at the Village Vanguard was what I would classify as New York modern jazz, meaning that the harmony did not include a lot of 2-5-1 chord progressions, right? Now there was blues. There actually was some a lot of blues stuff going on there, but not a lot of 2-5-1 chord progressions. Um a little bit of time signature changes, but it actually wasn't too, too far off, right? There, there's some time signature changes. Um, but as far as rhythm and stuff like that goes, very much so modern and loose and, um, but really, really good music, right? So really good music. So that's kind of the context. Um, okay. So I'll talk about exactly what that was that I learned from them. Of course, we do have to thank our sponsor, our very own LGS inner circle membership. So of course the LGS inner circle membership, it's the membership where you can learn how to play jazz and improve your jazz skills. I like to think of it as an easy button, right? I mean, we're always going through this jazz journey alone and sure you're listening to this podcast and other things, but what we provide in the inner circle are frameworks for jazz success. For example, just one example is our monthly jazz standard study. It's called the Jazz Standards Club, where we learn a new jazz standard every single month. Like what an amazing goal, right? To learn a new jazz standard every single month. We dive deep into it. We learn an etude. We learn improvisation exercises. We work on an analysis. There's a training video. We're posting our playing and improv in the community for feedback. Like it's an amazing community. But of course, we also have other frameworks for jazz success, like our Rhythm Changes Accelerator course we just came out with, and uh, a lot of other goodies. We just came out with a basics piano, jazz piano skills 101 for both non-piano players and for piano players. I mean, there's so much more I could say about the inner circle, but if you haven't checked it out yet, just go to ljsinnercircle.com. So ljsinnercircle.com. And, uh, and don't wait, right? Because I mean, there's always a better time, but the best time is now. So lgsinnercircle.com. All right, let's go into the lessons I learned at Village Vanguard. And the number one thing that I think you should be really focusing on for your jazz improvisation. Okay, so kind of what I'd like to do to start illustrating and teaching this point is just do a little bit of playing to kind of show you um, what I'm talking about. So what I have is a, a, just a two five one backing track loaded up here, just a two five one backing track. And so I'll just play a few things, and uh, then we'll go from there. Thank you. 
so um, that was me just playing over a two five one chord progression, and you know you probably didn't hear quite what I'm talking about just yet, um, but maybe you're starting to come to some conclusions if you're listening closely. So um, the first thing that I want to kind of address before talking about what I just played is. There's a common fear that a lot of beginner to intermediate jazz musicians have, which is the majority of those who listen to this podcast. And that fear is that you're going to play the wrong note. So over top of this uh, D minor seven chord, I'm playing a two, five, one in C major, right? So so let's just say that, you know, you're going to play an, a totally wrong note. So we're going to play an A flat note over top of a D minor seven. Okay. Now, this is a horrible fear. Like if, if you know you accidentally played that note, you might be freaking out like, wow, I'm playing all the wrong notes. And then you're like, you know, you try to play another right note, but it's still a wrong note, right? Now I played a B flat over a D minor seven. That sounds horrible, right? So, so far you're playing the wrong notes. Okay, so then we get to the G7 chord, right? That's the five chord. So we went, we played that over top of the D minor. And then let's say... We played these two notes over the G7. Okay, that sounds horrible. That's a D flat over top of an E flat, right? So let's say we play that as well. Right, let's just say those are the notes that we're playing over top of, of this two, five, right? That should technically sound horrible. Now, what happens next, though, is the real critical thing, right? What happens next is the real critical thing. So let's look at this. D minor 7. The G7. Whoa, what happened there? That was to the C major 7. Okay, so D minor 7. Something like that. Okay, that's what's called a resolution. Okay, so wrong notes. And then we resolve. We resolve to the chord that we're arriving at. So in other words, I can play what would some would call all the wrong notes over top of literally 75% of those chords, right? And again, I want to put wrong notes in quotations. You can't see me doing quotations, but wrong note in quotations. So let's now pick, um, let's like pick some actual more theoretical constructs that would just be completely wrong. Okay, so let's say over top of the D minor seven, I'm actually going to play. So E flat minor ideas. So that's like a complete half step off. Let's say over the G seven, I'm going to play um, D flat minor ideas. Like, right. I mean that I mean that sounds hor like just right now I'm just like that sounds absolutely horrible. So let me put on the backing track and uh let's see if I can resolve uh properly from those two completely unrelated chords to the tonal center to the C major. So let's give it a shot. boom right i did it right that was that actually sounded good so the next question really is what does this all mean like if i'm able to play completely not related theoretical constructs over top of 
a given set of chord changes, right? I'm, I'm able to play chords that aren't even in the tonal center of this 251 and still end up making it sound good through resolutions, right? Then what does this mean? Well, well, the first thing that it means is that we don't have to be worrying so much about always playing the right notes. Like that's a huge obsession for a lot of us, especially the beginner and intermediate jazz players. Like, are we playing the right notes? And I, again, quote unquote, the right notes. Are we playing the right notes? Well, what we're learning here now is we can play whatever we want technically as long as we're able to resolve that idea. So you can play what people would call outside of the changes. Again, I I say quote unquote, outside of the changes. And that is all well and good unless, unless you don't resolve it properly. If you don't resolve it properly, then it, that's when it actually sounds like you're playing wrong notes, right? But you're not, it's not going to sound like you're playing wrong notes as long as you become great at resolving. Okay. So what else does this mean? So the other thing that this means is if we become experts at resolving, right, at resolving to chord tones, to tonal centers, if we can get good at doing that, we're going to be creating a lot more interesting and exciting jazz solos because it's really the 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 thing that makes jazz so interesting to listen to and and maybe you haven't thought about this before so let me point this out to you one of the things that keeps you interested at all times in listening to jazz is the fact that there are so many tension and resolutions happening right um if you've ever heard a really boring like song um and I want to pick on pop songs a lot of pop songs are great but you may have heard like a pop song that's so boring and dull um, because there's no tension in resolution, but in jazz, there's always tension in resolution. So if you listen to some of the, the best jazz musicians, that's what you're constantly hearing. You're hearing something that kind of makes you feel uncomfortable for a very split second, but then resolves. And it's almost as if the, res- the resolution from that discomfort makes it so much more of a pleasurable experience to listen to than something that is just always feeding you kind of this monotone good experience, right? Again, I'll pick on the pop for a second. Like, uh, again, lots of great pop songs out there, but you might listen to a pop song and and you'll, you might listen to it five times because it's some catchy lyrics, but it loses the interest after a while because you, there's this so vanilla, there's not enough going on there to really keep you um, motivated to listen. But with jazz, you're often hearing that. And so if we can get good at resolutions, that's what's happening. We're taking stuff, notes that may create tension, again, could be quote unquote, not wrong notes, but we're resolving it to tonal centers that makes sense within the harmonic context. Now, we're doing this continually. We're not just doing this once. We're continually doing this. We're continually going away from the chord changes and then back into them, away from the chord changes and back into them, right? So what I'm trying to say to you today is the thing that I learned at the Village Vanguard from Galad Hexelman's quartet, or at least they brought this closer to my attention from an educational perspective, is that if we become experts at tension and resolution, then we can forget about worrying so much about playing the right notes and we can start playing jazz solos that are amazing. So if we really shift a lot of our attention attention to figuring out how to do that, that is the secret sauce to playing amazing jazz solos and making really any note that you're playing 
eventually sound good, right? Now, what does this not mean? It emphatically does not mean that you don't need to know what the right notes are. In fact, literally, it's the very opposite. It's the very opposite. In order for you to create resolutions, you have to be so aware of what the quote unquote right notes are that it is almost second nature for you to resolve to them, where it almost becomes difficult for you not to resolve to them. Okay. So one thing in my inner circle membership, um, I hear this from members sometimes. Hey, Brent, why do we study chord tones and guide tones? So for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, most of you probably are, but like chord tones are, right? Roots, thirds, sevenths, root thirds, fifths, and sevenths, right? And we do a lot more than that. Like we figure out how to connect them together, voice leading throughout an entire jazz standard. We we really do a lot of that work and we do it every single month and we do variations on that work. And so people wonder, hey, Brent, why do we study chord tones? Why, why, you know, why are we just really focusing on that? We're not just focusing on that, but why are we focusing so much attention on that? Because the chord tones are what spell out the changes. The chord tones are what are giving the listener and you the clue as to the tonal centers we're traveling through and the direction of the chord changes. Those chord tones are basically like what I would say is the pop music that we're, again, we're going to pick on pop. We're using pop music. It's always going to give you a good result, right? You're listening to the pop song and it's just always delivering you a good result tonally. It's just like, this is the chord changes. I hear with, even if you don't understand music theory, you hear what the chords are. Someone who knows nothing about music listens to a pop song and is like, this is great. I like listening to it. This is enjoyable because it's not challenging you. So chord tones, you got to know them so well. You have to know how to connect them together so well over a jazz standard that it just is second nature. All 12 keys, um, all different chord progressions, connecting them together. If you know how to do that, then you're training not only your muscle memory on your instrument, but also your ear to really know where they are and what they sound like. Okay. Chord tones. Now, the other thing inner circle members ask me sometimes is Brent, why do we focus on guide tones? Now, for those of you who don't know what guide tones are, that's the thirds and sevenths. So over a D minor seven, right? That's the third. That's the seventh. A G seventh. That's the third. That's the seventh. C major seven. That's the third and the seventh. So if we move these, playing them as chords, Okay, you heard the, just by playing the thirds and the sevenths, you can hear the two, five, one going by, right? We call these the inner voices, right? But the thirds and the sevenths are so important because they are kind of the defining notes that differentiate the difference between one chord quality to the next, whether it be major, minor, dominant, seventh, um, not half diminished, but then fully diminished, right? So super, 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 super important that we know our guide tones, but why exactly? It's because... Those thirds and sevenths being so important, like they're basically like the most important chord tones. We have four chord tones, root, third, fifth, and seventh. The root, that's fine to resolve to. That's a strong chord tone. It's going to really clue the listener into where you're at. The fifth, totally fine chord tone to resolve to, going to clue the listener into where you're at. But the third and the seventh 
are really strong, right? Especially the third. So it's almost like the hierarchy is the third, the seventh, the fifth, the root, I would say, or the root and the fifth, I would say. Some might, you know, kind of debate me on the root and the fifth of that hierarchy a little bit, but that's kind of the way I would, I would see it personally, right? Now, it doesn't mean that we always need to be resolving to the thirds and the sevenths or the other chord tones, totally fine and definitely important to resolve to extensions and stuff like that too. But if we're so keenly aware of these guide tones and how to resolve to them where they are at on our instrument, then we're going to have way easier time figuring out resolutions, right? Okay. So then the task becomes, how do we resolve to those notes, right? If we know those notes so keenly, then how to re- how do we resolve to them, right? Well, then we can start talking about all sorts of strategies, which I've certainly talked about on this show. We certainly really work through in our inner circle membership. For example, one thing that we study in our jazz standards club studies is we study approach tones. Literally, we are practicing resolutions. So for example, this is a very basic example, not super musical, but it'll kind of just illustrate the point, right? So our D minor seven, let's just say we're approaching the third. So I'm going to approach from a chromatic note above. That's an outside note. Okay. A, a, A diatonic note below resolving to the third. So, okay. So that's... A, a, a resolution there approaching right we can do the same exact formula for the g7 and then so okay super basic 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 concept uh, uh, we call that enclosure um but just approaching from above and below a target note. our target note in this case was was the third um and that's a super basic example. There's tons of other approach tone strategies involved, right? Now, again, this is all practicing resolutions, getting so good at resolutions that it's just second nature. First, just knowing where those important notes are, then practicing resolutions. Then what would the next step be? Well, the next step would be kind of what I was just doing right there. I was like, hey, let's just play stuff that's way out. Like, let's start again on the... Right. Let's start the E flat minor over top of the D minor and see how we can create resolutions to that one chord. Right. Then we literally just start practicing that. Um, And then when it comes to actually just going out and playing live, instead of worrying so much about, oh, am I playing the right notes here? Because sometimes, you know, the stuff that you're practicing in the practice room, it can elude you at times when you're actually performing. So instead of worrying so much about that in that moment, more being concerned about how you're going to resolve to the tonal key center. So, for example, when I'm looking at a jazz standard such as All the Things You Are, right, F minor 7... Um, right so the first chords are f minor b flat minor e flat seven a flat major seven well the two things that i know is we start on this f minor so i know from the very beginning that like this f minor is kind of a, a key center that we're starting in so we can play notes that are in the key there. But then the B flat minor seven, E flat seven, 
those are just a two five one into a flat major, and that two five one is really just serving as a connector between that F minor and that A flat major. So the two key centers I'm worried about in those first handful bars of all the things you are are F minor and A flat major, right? So in other words, we could play anything we want in between there but resolve to that A flat major, right? So that's the kind of thought process I'm talking about, right? Is is understanding what those tonal centers are and understanding the resolutions. Now, I'm not saying that you should always play quote unquote outside of the changes. Like sometimes, and if your ear prefers it, you know, spell those chord changes out perfectly. But especially when we get to five chords, right? You could play like, every single altered note in that five chord that you want, as long as you resolve it to that one chord or whatever the chord happens to be resolving to, right? So resolutions is huge. So here's my big call to action for you this week is A, I want you to think about this concept a little bit. Like the the idea that if we focus most of our attention on jazz improvisation, on getting becoming an expert at resolutions, you know, this is going to open up a ton of doors for you, right? So it's just a simple idea, but this simple idea is so important. And the second thing I want you to really think about is I want you to think about the chord tones and the guide tones and why they're important, like why it's important that we so well know what the notes we want to resolve to are that they're second nature, because that allows us to play whatever note we want as a result, right? So... The last thing I want you to do is I want you to actually practice this. I want you to practice tensions and resolutions over simple chord progressions and see what that what you what happens. Like feel free to explore, feel free to sound bad even, right? But in order to get good at this, you have to practice this. So that's my call to action for you this week. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you found this helpful. And of course, I hope you take action because knowledge without action is technically not truly knowledge at all, or at least it's not actualized. So make sure you take action. Now, of course, uh, we can always help you take action by joining our LJS Inner Circle membership. So do check it out at ljsinnercircle.com. We're gonna be coming out with another great quick win podcast episode this Friday. So hope you join us for that. So subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you back then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast brought to you by learnjazzstandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes and don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.